but I look around and you're smiling. I can tell. <laughs> All right, before we, uh, before we get to the sermon here this morning, I'm going to invite the ushers up and we're going to take the offering. We're going to spend a few moments in prayer. But uh, one quick little announcement is one of our ushers, who will remain nameless, it's his birthday today. I, I think he's like 41 or something like that, give or take. 49, can we say that? 49. Happy birthday, guys. Happy birthday. All right, let's spend a few moments in prayer. God, thank you. Uh, thank you for celebration. Thank you for Dusty's faithful service to our church over these years. Let's pray that he would have a wonderful, wonderful day today with his family. God, as we prepare our minds and our hearts for opening your scriptures, which we know and we believe that are divinely inspired, that they're fully authoritative, that they speak truth into our life and they're without error. And so we submit ourselves to those scriptures today, knowing that, believing and knowing that you already know what's best, that you are in control and that you have plans and purposes for us far greater than, than we could ever imagine. And so God, I pray that we might learn to trust you more every day, even in the midst of when our circumstances seem just bizarre, unusual, painful, whatever they might be, may we learn to trust you and to see what you are trying to teach us in the midst of those things. God, we thank you that you are in control. God, we want to pray for those this morning who are still continuing to, fire, to fight the fires. Physically, those people who are out trying to contain the blaze. God, we pray for their safety and that you would work mightily through them to stop these fires. God, we pray for those who have been affected by them, whether they've been displaced temporarily or, or whether everything they have has been burnt up. We lift them up to you. Would you comfort them? Would you let them know that you love them? As only you can do, would you turn this circumstance, which is awful, into something that is redemptive and beautiful, that they might turn to you in the midst of this, that they would seek you for help. Give each of us as individuals hearts that we might serve those who have been affected by so much difficulty in this short time in life. Give us hearts to pray for and ideas in which we can help. God, we thank you that we have opportunity in this country to come and to corporately gather, to lift your name high, to sing praises to you as, as loud as we want without any fear of persecution. God, it is a, a blessing that we can gather so freely, but at the same time, we know that that reality is not the case for many anymore. And so, God, we pray for courage for those who need to gather in, in secret that their church service, it, while it looks very different than us, that it would be no less a blessing to them. That they would grow in their faith and that they would become more passionate about Jesus Christ. The same as we wish for here, we wish for them as well. God, for those who are sacrificing their very life for the sake of the gospel, in countries where we can't even imagine what they're going through again. We pray that their example and their faithfulness would challenge us. That we would stand strong in the truth of the gospel. 
God, we have so much here. And sometimes it seems because we have so much, we've forgotten how to trust you. Sometimes it seems like we've become complacent, have lost sight of what's important. And so, God, I just pray that you would renew within us, even this morning, as, as we talk about our own internal relationships with you and within the church community, I pray that you would renew a passion within us, that we might love you more and declare you to our neighbors and our friends and our family, that many would see and understand who Jesus Christ is. God, as we take up the tithes and offerings again, as we talked about last Sunday, we acknowledge that everything that we have been given is only from you to steward well for what your purposes are. So God, would we be cheerful givers? Would we give to you not of duty or obligation, but out of a cheerful and joyful heart? Would we give to you because you know far greater to do with those resources than we? And God, would you give the, the leadership of this church the wisdom to know how to use those funds in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. God, we pray for all of these things this morning, knowing that you are capable of stepping in in every situation and turning it into something good. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, you can turn to John, but just before I get there, I got two things. One, I got to tell you a little story because Ernie told a story. Um, the difference between Ernie and, and, and us is that when the mouse came into our house, we spent a day and a half trying to capture safely the little critter and free him into the wild where he belongs. And then we borrowed a trap from Ernie. <laughs> but we tried for a long time, and then I went to buy a trap because I didn't want to tell Ernie I had to do that, but the traps were all sold out, and the only person that had one was Ernie. So that trap has had unfortunate use in this last week or so. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it is mouse season, I guess. All right, this morning we're starting something a little bit new. Uh, just for two weeks again as we look forward to kickoff Sunday for, for our fall kickoff. Um, a couple of things regarding the fall kickoff, just because both of our devs are not here, and, and I was hoping they would be able to share up just a little bit, is there's going to be a big meal afterwards. We're going to provide the, the meat um, for those of you who, who haven't heard, we were gifted a whole, well, not really gifted, we were given a very, very good deal, almost gifted completely, a lot of beef. And so we're going to make some burgers and, and that kind of thing. We'll provide that. But if you're coming for the 17th, just bring a salad or a dessert or something. It uh, doesn't matter what it is. And, and we're going to have a huge meal afterwards. And then Deb's going to run the kids and see if they're going to hurl, I guess. I don't know. But uh, adults don't have to run after the meal. But we're going to have a big meal together. We're going to celebrate uh, the new fall, the new programming season as we look forward. But with that in mind, and, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, but today and, and next Sunday, we're, I'm going to really explain what happened at our board retreat uh, a few weeks back. Some of the decisions that were made and, and some of the wisdom that came out in those meetings where we're going to include you, the congregation, in figuring out what is God calling us uh, moving forward. So what you're going to get uh, on Tuesday, Randy and I are going to finish uh, a little survey off. We're going to 
get the rubber stamp of approval from the board, and then we're going to email that out. And so hopefully you've seen it before next Sunday, and then we'll have some hard copies here as well next Sunday. And what that survey is, is there's going to be two categories, and we're going to call them one internal and one external. And what we're asking for is, is simply uh, anonymous honesty. We're not asking you to put your name on it, but we're going to ask some very specific questions uh, that we just want you to, to share your answers with us. In one category, we're going to look at some internal things. Really what came out of those meetings is, is we want to be a church that cares for one another because we believe that that's what God's called us to. We're going to talk about that this morning specifically. But we want to know what's going on in your life, what hurts do you have or concerns or, or what ideas of, of internal programs would be helpful. So let me give you an example. One of my best friends back in his church uh, teaches a course called Celebrate Recovery, and it's, it's, it's an addiction recovery course. And so if you or your family are struggling, and, and maybe not even you individually, but maybe, maybe a grown-up child or maybe a sibling far off or whatever it might be are struggling with addiction, we, we would like to know if that would be a helpful thing for us to, to bring about and to figure out how to help each other in that. If there's another issue that exists in, in your family, in your faith journey, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with apathy, whatever you're struggling with, we want to know because we want to help. We want to be a church that knows what the needs are in our community and reaches into that. And then we're going to have a category for external, and this is what we're going to talk about next week. And the external being, uh, what kind of things do you see as valuable that our church can do to spread the gospel of Jesus to our community and beyond. So we're going to ask questions about outreach ministries, about certain events that we have done in the past, whether we should continue them or whether we should change focus into another idea. Is there three or four people here that are passionate about a ministry that maybe you've, you've never really wanted to share, but that God's been working in your heart and you say, hey, what if we did something like this? We want to support and get behind you and figure out how to accomplish those. Have you thought about short-term missions trips? Would, would it be good to gather together as a church? Well, one of the ideas we had is in 2025 taking a group uh, to Israel and, and doing some educating of ourselves about the lands where Jesus walked and, and also maybe closer to home opportunities where we can go and we can serve and volunteer. So there'll be all kinds of those questions, and, and we just ask you just to be honest with those, and we're going to take all of September to kind of wrestle through those things. And then in October, we're going to figure out how we can begin to implement some of those things. With all that said, there's a couple of things we are going to implement because we believe that they're scriptural, we believe that they matter, and we believe they're going to be helpful in our own faith moving forward. One of those things is all of July we, we taught uh, on prayer. We want to become a church that prays more and more and more, that trusts in God more, that, that individually we pray more, but corporately that we pray more. Prayer matters, and, and we want to practically show that. And so the third Sunday of every month, starting in October, so it won't be in September, but starting in October, the third week, the third Sunday, we're going to meet for now upstairs in the library, up there, uh, at 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, so before church starts. And we're just inviting anybody who is willing to come, and we're just going to pray together. There'll be a little bit of structure, so you don't have to worry that it'll be like, well, what are we going to say, or what are we going to do, what are we praying about? There'll be some direction. Someone will always be there to kind of lead and direct that. But also, there'll be opportunity to share what prayer requests are going on in your life, in your family, in your workplace, 
and it'll give us an opportunity to gather together to pray, and then as we transition from prayer into our worship service, that our hearts are already ready to hear from God and more sensitive to him. So that's one thing that's going to happen, um, and that'll affect those of you who are able to come. But there's another thing that we're going to do starting in October as well. The first Sunday of the month is we're going to have Potluck Sunday every month. Yay? <laughs> Food is good, right? So we take communion the first Sunday of every month, and we thought, hey, we break bread, right, as it were, in a small way. Uh, I don't mean communion in a small way, but the actual elements in a small way. But we want to transition from communion to community, that we would gather together around tables and that we would actually share with each other our lives. One of the comments that has been made to me over and over is that um, people have come up and said, like, I've been worshiping for 10 years in this, in this church with some people that I don't really know anything about. I don't know what's going on in their lives. And what we want to become is, and we're going to talk about this specifically this morning, is there's an internal focus that how are we going to care for one another if we don't know one another? And so our goal is not that we have our little tables where you sit with the people that you work with or sit with the people that you're already friends with, but that we intentionally go, man, I don't know that person that well. I know who they are. I know their husband or their wife or their family, but, but that's maybe it. And so to sit down with them and, and to share it, and I think we can all agree that food is a good way to be the equalizer in that. And so this is just going to become part of our DNA, hopefully beyond 2023 and 2024, but this is just going to be something we do. So if you're coming the first Sunday of the month, you got to eat lunch anyway. So just prep a little early and bring a little more than you would eat for your family. And then if there's visitors and guests, we can invite them in. We can be hospitable to them and show them what community ought to look like. At least that's my hope. And then we can eat together and share together. Now, here's the thing. We're going to try and make it as organic as possible. Not organic in the sense of organic bananas. But <laughs> organic in the sense of we're not going to organize this. So we're not going to have lists of like, you know, last name A to F is supposed to bring a salad. And we just don't care. Whatever you bring, you bring. And if everyone brings a salad, we'll, we'll share with our vegan friends that day and all will be good. And if everyone brings a dessert, some of us will be really happy. And it doesn't matter what we eat, but we're just going to share together. So that's going to be the two things that we're going to uh, move forward in from an internal standpoint. And then next week we'll talk about external. So that's all the preamble to say this. There's a scripture passage in John 13 that really points out to us the significance in why we're doing these things. And so we're going to do something a little bit backwards, at least backwards for me, is that we're going to look at our verse. We have two verses that we're going to look at, and we're going to read those, and then we're going to go backwards in those verses. We're going to start at the end and move backwards, and then we're going to go to the context afterwards, which is the opposite of how I do it, but I hope it'll be, uh, I hope it'll be poignant in this way. So this is John 13, 34, and 35. So you can read this along with me. Jesus says this to us. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Here's the key. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus literally says how you as Christians, how we as Christians love one another is going to represent to a watching world that we belong to Jesus. Seems pretty simple in theory in the fact that it's only a few words. But let me ask you the question, 
Do you love your Christian brothers and sisters? And this is why we want to get to know each other more, because if we don't know each other very well, we're not going to love each other very well. But if we know each other, if we care, if, if, we, if we heard, man, this individual is going through crisis or hurt or pain or the grieving a loss of a loved one or, or were let go of their job or lost their staff accommodations or whatever it is, all of a sudden that knowledge means that we're going to be able to pray more effectively for them. We're going to be able to rally around them more effectively together and help them more. But here's the reality, and, and this came out of the border treaty. Sometimes we don't want to admit those things out loud because they're painful. Sometimes we think we have to throw a fake smile on and pretend like everything's fine when we're here. And, and that's the exact opposite of what it should be. Because you should be able to trust these, this group of people more than anybody else in the world because we want to honor Jesus with everything that we do. So Jesus says, by how you love one another, the world will know if you belong to me. So here's the question. Do we love one another? Is it, do you come to church but you sit on one side because maybe there's somebody that you don't like that you know that sits on the other side? If that's the case, then shame on us in our own hearts. We've got to repent of that. And we've got to deal with it. Now, the point is not you're going to be best friends with everybody. That's a very different kind of relationship. My mom always used to say this about your family, is you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You can like your friends, but you have to love your friends. Let's ask this. Family is messy, amen? I don't know any of us that have like, everything's going perfect. Is there pain? There's hurt. There's difficulty. There's challenge. There's awkwardness. There's tension. There's all these things. And so if that's in our immediate family, then won't that be in our adopted church family as well? But are we willing to power through that? Are we willing to put our differences aside and love one another? Well, this is what Jesus says here. By how you love one another, the world will know that you belong to me. So if we don't love one another, the implication here is then not only can the world not see that we belong to Jesus, then maybe we don't actually belong to Jesus. Maybe we just think we do. And so that's convicting in our own hearts to say, will I love my church family? Will I care for them? Will I invest into their lives that I might be able to pray for? that I might be able to step up and, and help in certain moments of need and areas that, that God puts on my heart. You know, it's it's amazing thing. God doesn't need us to know anything. Sometimes God just directs someone to a certain person and goes, I don't, I don't know why, but here's what like I feel like God's put on my heart, and that's a wonderful thing. But how much more wonderful is it if we actually are aware of those things so that we can actually help each other regularly as a normal part of our life? So Jesus says, by this you will know. But he says something else in the first verse there in 34 that, that I want to wrestle with because I think it's really important. He says, a new command I give to you. Do you ever wonder about that? Love one another. Is that a new command? I mean, I think if we go back into the Pentateuch in the beginning of, of you know, scriptures, Leviticus 19, 18 says, you shall love your neighbor as so why is it a new command that Jesus says, love one another? Well, commentator Andreas Kostenberger writes this. He says, the command to love one's neighbor was not new. The newness was found in loving one another as Jesus had loved his disciples. He goes on to write that 
obviously we know Jesus went to the cross and he sacrificially gave up his life for us. That kind of love is what we're being called to. That's the newness of the kingdom. We have been given an example to follow, to love sacrificially. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. We're going to go back into the context in 13 here in a moment. But as Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and showing them what it means to serve one another, is, is who is sitting there with him who's about to betray him? Judas is there with him, and, and he's speaking these words to him as well. He's serving him as well. He's sacrificing his life on the cross for Judas as well. It's not as though Jesus' sacrifice, body and blood for us, is only sufficient for those who would repent. Sin was dealt with. Past, present, future. And how we respond to that matters, and, and where we will spend eternity matters in that response. But Jesus' sacrificial love was not only for those who loved him as well, but was for those who hated him as well. That's the kind of love with which Jesus was reminding us. This is the newness of the command. Again, Andreas Kostenberger writes this, is love must be the distinguishing mark of Jesus' disciples. That means when somebody looks at you and me, that the thing that we should be most known for is our love for one another and for the world around us. Now, I don't know about you, but if you turn on the news or scroll through social media, it's really easy to get really angry and aggressive and frustrated at the world. But that's not what we're called to do. Yes, we're supposed to deal with sin and uh, when we see it, to acknowledge it and figure out how we're going to deal with it. But if our heart is not broken for somebody who has rejected God and is so far from a human standpoint away, if we have anger or hurt or, sorry, anger or hatred, oh boy, anger or hatred in our hearts. We need to repent of that because God's called us to love them. Now, yes, he's called us to call them to repentance as well. And so we have to balance that. So let's, again, look at the context here. Is, is Jesus has walked in for the Last Supper with his disciples. And we read about this washing of the disciples' feet. And so from a historical standpoint, is uh, the reason that people did this is they walked on dusty roads and they primarily wore sandals and their feet were very dirty and caked with, you know, stuff. And that stuff needed to be washed off and dealt with, just like if you walk in after a rainstorm and you keep your shoes on and you walk in, what does your mom tell you as a child? Hopefully she tells you to clean it up. But there was the sense, this is, this is what we do. However, what was happening within that culture was this was started to be viewed as a very menial task for the servant of the house. The owner of the house was too good to do this, or perceived that he was too good to do this, he or she. And so the servant would wash the feet, and then they would come in, and they, and they would eat then together and, and do whatever the things that they had planned. Now, here in this case, likely it is that Jesus and the disciples already had their feet washed or should have had their feet washed. But regardless of whether they did or not, Jesus takes a towel and he wraps it around him and he goes one by one, again, Judas included, and washes the disciples' feet. 
an act of servanthood for them. And here's what Jesus says. We're going to read verses 12 to 17. The reason that we're going to read this specifically is because the disciples didn't seem to really grasp and understand what Jesus was doing. So verse 12, he says, When he had washed their feet, and when he had put on his outer garments, resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is what we're called to that we would serve one another. The, the church, especially in that time, but it should be true for all of time, is the church was a very mixed bag of people. Right? Jews, Gentiles, men, women, old, young. It was everybody gathered together, and they were different. In fact, there's other books in the Bible that deal with some of those differences and how some of the rich were coming in and they were kind of acting as if they were superior to the poor. And Jesus is not okay with that. And so he convicts Paul and Paul writes a letter in, uh, under the, the authority of, of the Spirit. And he writes and he says things like, like you, you cannot treat the poor any way that robs them of their value and their dignity because they are created in the image of God just like you are. And so we together are all the same, but we live in a world that separates us. And, and despite what the world is trying to teach us about inclusion, all it's really doing is driving us into further separate camps. And what we as Christians should be is the most mixed bag group of people gathered together, honoring one another, regardless of socioeconomic group, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of any of those things, because we're going to love each other and care for each other because we're submitting our hearts and our lives to Christ. And however God is blessing you, praise the Lord. And however God is blessing you, praise the Lord. And however God is blessing me, praise the Lord. But we're all going to be different. The church is going to be complicated. And I said this earlier, once you become family, gets difficult sometimes because you love your family but sometimes your family does dumb things and you have to call them on it but not because you're trying to be better than them because you're trying to call them to Christ the hardest part of church discipline is because we're not trying to say what you're doing is wrong figure it out smarten up what we're trying to say is we're worried that you're not putting Christ first in everything that you do and that's our priority so that's what we call each other to. That's why it gets difficult. Jesus teaches that this, the, the master is going to serve because the master, well, Jesus is greater than us, but me and you, right? Like we're all created in the image of God and we're all equal. We have the same value and the same dignity before God because he is creator. And so do we serve those who God has put under our care or do we put a little hierarchical system of, well, I'm going to serve them real well because they contain the gap. But they, they don't have anything to do with any of that, so I'm not. 
It sounds terrible to say those things, but is that how we live? I know I've told this story before, but this is the greatest example of servant leadership in my life. Is when I was uh, in fourth year Bible college, I got a chance to go to Greece on a missions trip, and we had a connection with a family uh, that, that came to the college that, that I went to uh, with this missions trip, and he was the president of Hellenic Missions. Incredibly educated, wonderfully spoken man. And over the course of these days, we were in kind of like a big factory, as it were, with just little dividers put up. And, and so there's 450 of us, you know, eating and sleeping and, and doing various ministries and all these things in this place. So it got messy, is fair to say. And one night after a late night worship session, we were kind of all coming down and just visiting and kind of hanging out. And there's just mess everywhere. And people started to kind of just go to bed because it was super late. We're all sitting there, and then we looked out, and there's one person cleaning up the garbage, and who was it? The president of the missions, who easily could have walked around, and anybody would have been like, yes, Jonathan, absolutely, sorry, I didn't see that, let me go take care of it. And people would have jumped up and gone and helped, but he didn't bother going to ask people, he just went to go and do it. Because he went, these people are doing all this other ministry work, I'm, I'm, the president, and I'm leading it, and I'm organizing, doing all this, but they're off in the streets, and they're ministering to people, and they were worshiping just now, and he goes, this is my way that I can serve. And one of the guys that I got to lead worship with that night from Ireland looked at me, and, and Len said, well, Jonathan's doing all the work. We ought to go and do the work. Right? And my first thought is, well, my first thought should have been, why wasn't I clean? Was I looking at it like, man, I got to be on stage. I was important. Other people can do that. I hope that wasn't my thought. It's too many years ago to remember if that was true, but it probably was. It's in our own hearts so often we go, well, here's my role. Here's my responsibility. I'm going to let other people do those things. Well, those things don't really exist. They're only in our minds. This is why we talked about the, spirit, the, the stewardship of our spiritual gifts earlier. Because we're all one body in Christ and there's no more important gifts and less important gifts. There's just different gifts. And when we work together as a church family, when we love each other and when we care for each other, we're going to be able to accomplish all that God has for us. But here's the thing, and, and this is what we're going to wrestle with as we move forward into next week is there's a balance between internal and external that needs to happen all the time in our lives. Is if we're only focused on internal and we're only focused on our church people and ministering here, then we lose sight of the Great Commission, which we're going to look at next week. The command that we've been given to go and make disciples. But if on the flip side is we start to lose focus of who is within our church and our focus is only on external well, usually what happens is we lose sight of good teaching and we lose sight of what the Bible teaches because we're just so excited to do things and eventually we start doing those things in our own power and we burn out and we get disillusioned and we leave. In fact, there are some ministry organizations around the world, specifically working with young people, that have noticed a trend where they've sent people off into missions, brought them home, and they have found that the vast majority of those people no longer attend church the next Sunday they just burnt themselves out, got disillusioned with the church. Now, that's a complex issue that needs a lot of ex exploration. But 
each individual local church, we need to be wrestling with what things do we need to be doing internally and loving one another the way that Jesus has commanded here, and then as we'll talk about next week, and how do we do that externally out in our world and in our communities. So there is a balance that's needed, but what we learn from Jesus here is that it doesn't matter your position or who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the Messiah. He was here to serve, not to be served. Is that how we think about it? Do you love your Christian brothers and sisters? Do you want to edify them? Do you want to serve them? Do you want to encourage them? Do you want to equip them so that you see them out using the spiritual gifts that God has given for the body of Christ and beyond into our communities and into our world? argument is going to be that we cannot do that out there if we don't do that in here. If we can't love those who are on the same mission with the same purpose, how are we going to love those that are opposed to our purpose and our mission? I'm, I've said this before, but I'm a pastor, I'm not a pastor because I think the church is important. I think the church is important and so I'm a pastor. There's a difference is I'm committed that I think that the local body of Christ is God's expression of doing ministry within each other, and that's how we're going to reach the world. I don't think church is important because I'm worried that I'm not going to get a paycheck one day. I'm fully aware that's going to happen sooner than I want it to, though. But we are called together. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are called to serve each other. And we are called to love each other. A new commandment I give, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Again, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. God, we see this command in Scripture here. And we see that Jesus called it a new commandment. Not because we weren't already to love one another, but we were about to be shown, the disciples were shown, and ultimately Jesus is about to show the depth of his love by sacrificing himself on the cross for us. God, would we learn to love each other with that sacrificial kind of love? May we not only serve each other when it's convenient or when we have time, but may we recognize needs and step in and figure out how to meet those needs. Would we care for each other in the midst of our own crazy lives and what's happening with us? And as we see a healthy church function, as we look next week to the early church in the book of Acts, and as, as we see what they were doing and how they were living, God, we want to have more of that passion for one another. In our culture, in, in this part of the world, we are so egocentric, focused only on ourselves and what we want and what we perceive we need. But God, we know the truth of your scriptures. We know that it's better to give than to receive. We know that as we serve one another well, we will all serve one another well, and that means we'll be taken care of in so, God, I pray for a renewed passion within each of us for our brothers and our sisters here in this church. 
For those who are visiting, I pray for a passion within them as they go back to their local churches where they worship, that you would renew a love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we are so encouraged to know that wherever we travel, anywhere in the world, that we can find a group, that we can walk in and we can be loved before they even know anything about us because we are one family in Christ. God, help us to love this week. I'm just going to invite the guys up who are going to help with communion here. We're just going to read a little bit of 1 Corinthians 11, and then we're going to take the bread and the cup together. And, and so if this is a new practice for you, if you're visiting and, and have never kind of seen what communion is, is according to scripture, there's not some supernatural thing that happens in this moment. But it is representative of what we're going to read here in that Jesus, when he ate the Last Supper with his disciples, that he was preparing them and he was teaching them that I am literally about to go and sacrifice myself on the cross for your sin that you might have hope. But coming with that hope is going to come lots of difficulties, challenge, and and so we regularly come together in our church. We do this every first Sunday of the month where we slow down, where we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. You hear me say it all the time. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That we remind ourselves that it's only through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It's only from his death, only from his shed blood that we have the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins and to be with Jesus for all of eternity. It's not because of anything that I have done or that you have done. And so we humble ourselves and we come together and we remind ourselves of this every month. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, whether you're a visitor or whether you're a local, is you are welcome to partake with us. The bread represents Christ's body broken for us. The blood represents, or sorry, the cup represents his blood that was spilled for us. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I encourage you, take communion with us. You're not going to have some supernatural thing happen to you in that moment, but what you are going to experience is connection within the body. That we are all submitting ourselves and reminding ourselves of the gospel. And it's only in Jesus that any of this happens. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread which is right in John 13, which we just read. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Context is important. Again, remember the church is a very mixed bag of people. And in the Corinthian church, the rich were using their privilege to eat first and to leave the leftovers for people that were, that were poor or that were late or whatever. And so here's the warning that he gives to that church, but it's just as true for us today in a different context. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
So I'm going to pray for these elements one at a time, and the guys here are going to pass the bread out to you. And, and as you hold it, there'll be kind of soft music kind of going on, or, or maybe it'll be quiet. And I just want us to sit there with that for that moment. Evaluate our hearts. God, am I living for you or am I living for myself? Do I acknowledge that it's only through your sacrifice that I have life? And then submit your hearts to that. And then when everyone's had, uh, when everyone has been passed the element, then we'll, we'll take that together as a sign of unity. And then we'll repeat that with the cup. So let me pray. God, as we pass out the bread in these moments, I pray that each one of us who who have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior and chosen to submit our lives under him. I pray that we would take that bread and that we would, as, as we look at it in our hands, that we would be reminded that Jesus sacrificially loved us to the end. That he was willing to die so that we might have the opportunity to live. May we examine our own hearts and May we consider, do I just go to church because I should? Do I just go to church because I always have? Or am I part of a body of Christ that loves you? God, may, we, may you renew a passion within us for who you are because of what you have done for us. God, be with us in these final moments.
This that we hold in our hand represents Christ's body, broken for us. Let's eat and drink. God, as we pass out the cup now, and as we look and as we see this red liquid that represents the only atonement for sin possible, the perfect blood of Jesus. May we be overwhelmed by your love and your grace to us, your sacrifice to us. And may a passion, a renewed passion, exist in our hearts to follow after you and to honor you for who you are. Thank you that you made a way for salvation, that you made a way so that we could be with you. But even beyond that, we look forward to knowing that Jesus is coming again. And that when Jesus returns, that we will be brought up to eternity with you. That death now is not the end, but that we have hope for all of eternity. There is no greater gift. So God, thank you that Jesus went through the cross as our substitutionary atonement for sin.
represents Christ's blood spilled for us and strengthening us. God, as we go from this place to whatever you have ordained next in our schedule, whether we know it or not, may we honor you in how we live and how we talk. And may a watching world see the love and the care that we have for one another. That they might ponder and consider why we would love each other the way that we do. And that through that act of our obedience to you, that they would come to see that Jesus is Lord. God, thank you for this morning. What a privilege it is to worship you. Go with us now. Just a reminder, there are snacks at the back here. The through there is we're not just doing potluck. We're also still do snacks and coffee because food is good and fellowship is good. There's no rush to get out of here. You can come talk to us if you have any questions. Have a good week.